start this morning by reminding us all that this is a place of grace and love. But when I want to ask this question, how many of you have ever played the lottery before? Show of hands, right? Okay. Oh, you guys, wow. That's, uh, sorry, that was like, oh, a lot of you guys. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, uh, lottery is a cool thing. Um, so so I, I asked that question because... Uh, have you ever played that, that, that game of like, well, what would you do if you ever won the lottery? You know, and you come up with all these ideas. How many of you uh, scratch offs? You like enjoy like the thrill of scratching off a few of those things? Maybe a few of you out there. What would you do if you hit the jackpot, won the lottery? Currently, the Illinois State Lottery is at $348 million. So, which is, you know, just some chump change for most of us, I would say. And, um, but, you know, what would you do? Some of us say, well, I'd pay off my loans if, if, if I got any. Uh, just crippling student debt for some of us still. Uh, we might say, oh, I'd, I'd upgrade the house, get a new car, been eyeing that boat. Some people always say, like, hey, uh, I'd like to give some of it away. So, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, if for whatever reason you win the lottery and you would love to give to a nonprofit, we would gladly take part of your earnings and your winnings there. What would you do if you won the lottery? It's kind of a a big question. But did you know that 70% of lottery winners of over a million dollars have something in common? 70%. What do you think of probably what that might be? What do 70% of the people who have won over a million dollars in the lottery have in common? Yeah, they're broke, right? Like, isn't that crazy? 70% within seven years have lost everything, not 17, not 77 years. And I find that intriguing because don't we sometimes say things or at least think to ourselves, you know what, as I step back and I look at the landscape of my life, if I just had a little bit more money, it'd solve a lot of my problems. Or as I look at a lot of the stresses or angst that I have going on around me, if I had won the lottery, man, that would just basically solve everything. But as the truth reveals, that's just not the case. So why is that? Why is it that that is not the case? I believe it's because I think our world tells us to play our life like the game of Monopoly. How many of you would say you're big-time Monopoly players, right? Show of hands, when you think of a board game, how many of you think of Monopoly as like the first game that comes to mind? Now, Monopoly is amazing, right? They make like a version of everything. There's a U of I version of Monopoly based on spots around campus. I grew up playing the surf version of Monopoly where every location is like a famous surf spot. I'm sure many of you can relate to that one. Monopoly is simple, You get your little guy, you know, you always got to be, I just noticed there's a dinosaur. That must be a new one. I never had the dinosaur coming. You get your little character, you roll the dice, you go around, and the goal is simply to get more. Get more properties, more money, more opportunity to run over anyone who gets in your way. And in a similar way, I think that's one of the lies that our world has told us, is that you only win in life or your worth or your value as a person is defined by your ability to get this. And that's the word more. That you as a person, our world sometimes says that if you can get more, then you will become someone. Now, I'm not just talking about more money. More could mean a whole lot of things. Everything has a version of more, if you will. We say things like, once I make more money, then I will be happier. Once I get more education, then I'll be a well-rounded person. Once we get more square footage, then we'll be content and we'll be able to breathe as a family. Once I save more, then I can give to the church. Once I have more time, then I can serve. Once my kids are out of the house, then I'll get my sanity back. You get the idea. More, 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 more. 
And so if you would let me, that's what I want to talk about today, is what if getting rich the world's way by the world standard actually leaves us with less? What if the pursuit of more actually creates more of a hindrance to finding joy and fulfillment in life than actually finding it there? As we kick off this sermon, we're in week three of this teaching series called The Games We Play. We want to go and dig deep down to some of these issues, these games, if you will, that we all play in life. And so today we're going to talk about the idea of greed. And I want you to hear this for me to say that greed isn't necessarily just a money thing. And we'll talk about this later. But greed is more than just money. It's more than just financial that we can be greedy with a lot of different things. But what the world oftentimes calls success, the Bible refers to it as greed. And greed is sinful because of that lust for more, that dependence of more, finding your definition in more. We could put it this way, is that greed is choosing to be defined by more. That I will find my worth, I will find my value, I will find the next chapter of my life fulfilled as soon as I get more. But more is probably different for some of us. But greed can hold us captive to more, can it not? You ever felt that way? You ever have that like magic salary number before? That as soon as I make X, then, then, then life will just be peachy keen. And then you finally get a job or you get the promotion and you get that number. And then all of a sudden, what do you want? Well, just 10% more. You see, more has this ability to hold us captive, I know I've felt that way, and I'd venture to guess you have too. And Jesus offers us advice of how to break free from the captivity of more, or what we might call this idol of greed. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12, I hope you have your Bible with you. We open the Bible every single week. Our messages come from the word of God. You can take sermon notes. You can grab them when you're, where you grabbed communion. You could also follow along with us on the app. Luke chapter 12. The book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, the third gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So Luke, the third one, is actually the author of both Luke and Acts. They go connective. They, they're actually almost like one long historical account of the life of Jesus. Luke was a doctor so it's very detailed. And as Aaron said, in two weeks, we are kicking off a teaching series all the way through the book of Acts. 28 weeks, 28 chapters. Now I'm just going to go out there and say, this is the longest series that we've ever committed to. Some of you are like, 28 weeks? That's a long time. Yeah, but because we believe in the power of the word of God, we are going to dive into this book together. And what this booklet has for you, it's got room for you to take notes. It's got study material for you out the week. It's got a formation exercise each and every week for you to practice by yourself with your group. And it's all going to be contained here. Because the hope and prayer would be then, years down the road, you could go to your shelf, pull this off, and what did I learn? What did Jesus show me through the book of Acts? So that's coming through. Grab one on your way out if you haven't done so already. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is in the midst of his ministry. He's done some teachings. He's performed some miracles. He's healed some homies. But then eventually what people start to notice is whenever I have a problem, whenever I've got a dispute, let's go find that Jesus cat because he always seems like he's got some good things to say. And that's kind of what we run into this morning. Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 13. You can follow along with me. It says this. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator 
before you. We're going to pause right there real quick. Here's what's happening. This crowd has formed around Jesus. He's performed some miracles, blah, blah, blah. And this guy seemingly comes out of nowhere and has this thought. Okay, Jesus, I've got some strife with my brother. And we can assume he's the younger brother. Because back in that culture, the older brother would have had more and would have been the attorney of the will, so to speak. And so he probably wants his inheritance early or maybe his brother's holding some of it back. But essentially, he has this thought in his mind. If I can get Jesus to side with me, I can get my more and walk on with life. But Jesus said something interesting to them later on in verse 15. This is what it says next. It says, then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, hey man, be fearful for wanting money. Be fearful for chasing after stuff. He says, be on guard for all kinds of greed. And that leads us to our first point this morning. If you're taking notes, here it is for you. Is that we can be greedy with more than just money. Is that we have things, we have resources in our life, and we can be greedy with things other than money in our life. Solomon is the wisest person who ever lived. He wrote this book called Ecclesiastes. He's in this search for the meaning of life. He has everything at his fingertips. He has money. He has property. He has everything you could imagine. And he resolutes at one point that the only thing worth in life is pursuing God because it's the only thing that lasts. But he says this in this book of wisdom, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. This is what Ecclesiastes, uh, what Solomon says. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. But here's what I think we can do, okay? You could take out the word money, you could take out the word wealth, and insert a different thing. Whoever loves their house never has enough. Whoever loves their square footage is never satisfied with their square footage. Whoever loves their time in a selfish manner never has enough Whoever loves time is never satisfied with the amount of time that they have. We can be greedy with more than just money. And Jesus says to this young man, hey, you need to be on guard as he addresses the rest of the crowd. And Jesus doesn't stop here. This is why I love Jesus. He continues. He says, so guys, let me, let me tell you a story. And he tells what's called a parable, a short story to drive home a meaning and a point. This is how the story continues, picking up in verse 16. It says, so he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to highlight something for us real quick, and we're going to come back to it here in just a little bit. If you have a Bible, if you're writing your Bible, circle this word, what, and then write in the margin or somewhere next to it, Luke 12, 22, okay? And we're going to come back to that here in just a moment. But here's what's happening, okay? 
Jesus says, here's this rich man who has a field and it produces an abundant harvest. Now, some translations, like the, the one that we read, kind of gives the, the impression that the man didn't really do anything. It kind of surprised him. He wasn't prepared for his abundance. Other translations will give the impression that the, and the farmer worked hard so that he produced an abundance. Either way, there is a rich man who has now at this point gotten richer, if you will. It's kind of a recipe to be on guard, is it not? Now, I think we would all want to be hard-pressed to say that greed is not an attribute that we want to have. I don't think any of us would argue with the idea, yeah, being a greedy person is probably something we all need to kind of, kind of get out of our life. But let's do a little exercise this morning. If you all would, just close your eyes right here where you're sitting. Go ahead, close your eyes. Go ahead, get out your wallet. No, I'm just kidding. We're not, no. Close your eyes, though. Now, I want you to think of someone, an actual face, of someone perhaps you know, know about, someone who you would deem as rich. Picture their face, perhaps where they live, where they work, where they drive. Now, open your eyes. Is it it safe to guess and assume that you pictured someone who has more than you materially? You see, greed is interesting because we oftentimes think it's someone else's issue, not our own. And so here is this rich man who has gotten richer, whether he earned it, deserved it, or not. And he says, what do I do? I have no inheritance, or I have no place to to store my crops. You see, what we miss in the text is there's actually a sense of angst here. There's actually a sense of worry in this word. Because the word what here, in the Greek language, since we don't read ancient Greek, it oftentimes comes up in other verses or passages about worry. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, so just a few verses later, Jesus is going to say, do not worry about what you will wear. Do not worry about what you will eat. The word what here in this ancient language is always almost 100% connected to something that has to do about worry. But we would probably say, what does he have to be worried about? He got more. He wasn't even expecting it. Why is he so worried? It's because we tell ourselves that if we get more, we will be free from the anxieties that we've acquired. If we get more, we'll be free from the stresses of life. But here the rich fool has seemingly got more with or without trying, and yet he still finds himself anxious. Man, what do I do? So he comes up with a plan. Continuing on in verse 18, it says this. It says, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and I will build bigger ones and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. The man comes up with the solution to his problem. I've got too much stuff. I've got stacks on stacks on stacks. I am flush. So I'll just figure out a way to hold on to more of my more. But you notice what he said, then, once my more is secure, then I'll take life easy. Then I'll enjoy life. Then I will be merry, happy, find fulfillment. And here it is again. I've gotten more, but I gotta make sure I don't lose my more. Rarely do you ever hear someone say, hey, you want to know the secret to life? You guys over here on this side of the room want to know the secret to life? 
you guys can listen if you want, but I'm going to talk to these people over here because they've got this problem way more than you do over there, right? What's the secret to life? To make less money. Good, I'm glad you, glad you figured that one out, right? You never hear someone say, that, you know what the secret to life is? Make less money. You never hear someone say the, the secret to life is to not have things. Now, there's even this interesting dichotomy in certain generations right now who are pursuing minimalistic lifestyles. But very rarely do we hear someone say, you know what? Actually, having less, pursuing less, actually is a great thing. It's interesting. In verse 15, Jesus had even though set him up, he said, life is not found in the abundance of things. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus said, I will tell you how to have abundant life. I have come that you may have abundant life, but that you might find it in me, he says. More abundance. It always creates a comparison game. It always creates perhaps a worry or an angst. How do I keep my more? Keeping up with the Joneses. I don't know who the Joneses are, but they always seem to have more than everyone else. The problem of more is this, is that once you get it, it doesn't go away. You can put it this way, is that more is never obtained. Think about that. It's a big philosophical statement. I know some of you are like, it's still early, come on. More is never obtained. Because once you get it, there's always the next level of more. But by golly, do a lot of us spend time and energy and effort pursuing, chasing more? You see, greed is present whenever if we were to be asked about a, 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 a thing in life, and the question was, how much until you're satisfied? And the answer is just a little bit more. That's probably a good sign that greed is starting to take root in our hearts. Let me give you an illustration. Anyone in here ever drink salt water for fun? Some, <laughs> there are a couple hands like, I tried it once. Yeah. It's interesting. If you go to the beach, it's hot out, you're in the water, playing in the waves, you might inadvertently get a mouthful of salt water. I'm going to come clean, okay? Forgive me, this is weird. But as a kid, growing up at the beach almost every single day during the summer, there were times where I was so thirsty, I would drink the ocean water. I know some of you are like, why are you even on this stage? You clearly need to get some things checked out in your life. <laughs> if you try to quench your thirst with salt water, you'll notice two things. Number one, for a brief moment, it's going to be refreshing. For a very brief moment, it's going to feel like it quenches your thirst. And then right around the corner, the salt's going to kick in and you're going to be thirstier than you were before. The pursuit of more is like trying to quench your thirst with salt water. For a brief moment, it's going to be refreshing. For a brief moment, it's going to seem like it's working and then it's going to really kick in. Because then the more is going to be, well, just a little bit more. More can never be obtained. Jesus ends the story then with this word. Verse 20 and 21, he says, But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. 
I think most of us, if we were honest, might say that we're afraid of poverty. Yet this passage makes it very clear we need to be just as concerned about wealth. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says, What good is it for someone to gain the whole world but lose their soul? Greed is not something that we feel, but is most certainly something that we do. Dave Ramsey, he's kind of a financial advisor type person. He has this amazing quote that always comes to mind in passages like this. He says, we buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't like. And if I'm being honest, I've been there before. I have fallen into that trap so many times and I probably will again. And the but God moment with this rich man was not the fact that he was rich to begin with. The condemnation was not about the fact that he had a surplus come into his fields. It was when he said, then, once I have stored it up, then I will be happy. Once my more is secure, then I will have found meaning and purpose in life. And he says, bro, you're about to die. You're chasing after this more and you're not even going to get to enjoy it. There's no shame thrown the rich man's way in the first place for being rich already. There's no condemnation for having a good business model or investment, but the rich man was a fool. Not because of his wealth, but because of his definition of life was on more. And I can't help but to think, is this not a cry of our world today? So how do we live rich towards God, as Jesus says? The Apostle Paul in in, in Philippians chapter 4. If you want to turn there, we'll read a couple verses. And he gives us this, this insight. Because the Apostle Paul was someone who was wealthy, he was known, he had a lot of leverage, gave it all up to follow God's will for his life, which is to start and plant churches. We're going to see all of this in the book of Acts. A shameless plug, yet again, book of Acts coming up. And he was oftentimes thrown in prison, shipwrecked, left with nothing, and yet he still writes these words. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, he says this. He says, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned, important word there, to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret to being content in any and every situation, whether, whether, well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So first and foremost, what the Apostle Paul doesn't say, I've learned the secret to being content, and that means I avoid situations in which I have a lot. He does not say that. He says, whether I have a lot or a little, whether I am comfortable or uncomfortable, Whether things are going my way or not going my way, I have found the secret to being content, but it is something that he says we learn. We do not naturally do contentment well. We do not naturally push greed away because greed is a sin and we are naturally sinful people. But if we cannot learn to be content, then we will most certainly never live generous lives. So let me remind us all, how did this parable start? 
A brother comes and says, Jesus, get my older brother to give me my more. Jesus says, be on watch for all kinds of greed. He tells this story about this rich man. It's not that he was rich, but that he was trying to be defined by more. And so instead of storing up stuff for yourself, be rich towards God. That's only Jesus' practical advice. So begs the question, what does that even mean? What does it look like? How do we obediently live in a rich-towards-God manner? You know, one of the things we share about when we talk about finances or living generously as a church is, is we say that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. If you categorically broke down all of the things that Jesus talked about, the topic of money would be the number one thing. And here is a secondary thought I recently had writing this message. is not only did Jesus talk about money more than anything else, he never asked for any. Jesus didn't talk about money and say, money's gonna wanna sit on the throne of your heart probably above anything else in this life because it offers this sense of security, this sense of comfort, be on watch. And so the way that you get rid of it is just give me all your money. Jesus talks about money, not because money is bad, but because he knows that if anything's going to sit here above me, it's probably going to be that. But he never asks for any. Isn't that profound? Be on watch for all kinds of greed. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's almost as Jesus is to say, let me be your more. Because my more is in abundance. My more is overflowing. My spirit never ends, never runs dry. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you. My love is never ending. You don't have to earn my more. You get to receive it. Let me be your more. Find abundant life in me. By grace, through faith. Push away the more of this world and embrace the more that I have to give to you. And that's how we learn to live rich towards God. We could put it this way, is that we lessen greed with generosity, not by more. We lessen our pursuit of greed, not by getting more, and hopefully that will make us less greedy. We lessen greed by living generously. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 13, verse 5. He begins by saying this, he says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, I will never leave you or I will never forsake you. There's probably one group of people who I think naturally embody this idea of living generously, and it's moms. My mom in my life has lived an extraordinarily generous life. Many of you, you know just the fact of, of becoming a mother, and I'm going to say not just a biological mom, a mom of, of, of foster families, Adoption. Some of you are like mother figures because the neighbors next door, the parents are kind of running amok and so you've like adopted them. No, not officially, but they come in, they raid your, your, your fridge and they make sure you get the gushers but not the sour ones because the sour ones are, you know what I'm saying? Like, like moms embody this idea so much more naturally well than I think anyone else of what it means to give, to live in such a generous manner without almost ever asking for anything in return. 
We wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the moms, the mother figures, the adoptive moms in our lives. They know this idea that if I give less of myself, that gives me the opportunity to take care, to love, and to cherish other people. But there's one other person who does this better than moms, not to step on your toes, moms, but that's Jesus himself. Philippians chapter 2, he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he humbled himself to the point of being a servant. He lives a perfect life, takes his final breath on a cross, gets buried into a tomb, the rock is rolled over, and then he raises from the grave three days later triumphantly to say, I have done it all. I have accomplished more than you ever have. My grace is more than your sin. My love overcomes the wrath of God. That we live rich towards God, not because we earn something, but because of what was already earned for us. One of our values as a church is we seek to be living out life-giving generosity, not because we're obsessed with money, but because we're obsessed with Jesus. And living life in the way that he lived life. Jesus exemplified this. He gave up his seat next to God so that he might give his life as a ransom for many. So here's where I'm going to close this morning. This is the best way I think I can to close out this message. is not with another point, but one singular question. How do we live rich towards God? How do I know if greed is taking root in my heart? We can begin to ask ourselves this question. Do I find myself pursuing Jesus, or more, more? Do I find myself pursuing Jesus, or more, more? Pursuing Jesus means you don't have to win that rat race. Pursuing Jesus means you don't have to upgrade when your neighbor does. Pursuing Jesus means that your calendar can look different than theirs. Pursuing Jesus means you can put down social media and stop comparing yourself to the moms who seem to never have any faults or issues or things that their house is always clean and their kids are always well behaved and then you begin to tell yourself, man, am I just a bad mom? No, you're real, they're not. Pursuing Jesus more than more means you don't have to earn things to find value in life. Doesn't mean your, your, your worth as a human is, is dependent on the number that you get every week or the amount of letters at the end of your name or before your name if you become a doctor. You know what I'm saying? Like, like there's, if your name has letters or not, let's just put it that way. That pursuing Jesus more means you get to view your life as a blessing for other people, for the church that you call home, for the neighbors that you call loved, for the community of people that God has entrusted you to begin with. The key to battling greed is to be generous, not to find more. I'll close with this by saying, we often say we give generously of our time, talents, and treasure. So let me just share with these two things. Number one, our kids' ministry and our student ministry right now is busting at the seams. It's crazy. Don't go back there unless you prepared yourself. Like, it's like a tornado of little hoonlas just like running around. I don't know how they survive week to week. Last week, uh, one of our, I think it was our, our pre-K classes, there was two high school girls and 24 toddlers. Two of them were my kids. So, like, being one-on-one with each of them is enough. So we say, hey, you could be generous, perhaps, with some of your time, 
or your talent. An hour a week, an hour a month will make a massive difference because families want to call this church home. And we want to see more families call this church home because they can meet Jesus. Find a community that loves them. Our creative arts team puts on some of the most phenomenal worship services I have the privilege to be a part of. Now, I can't do what he does. I'm just going to be honest. Most of us can't. But there are many roles in the creative arts team where they will teach you how to take part in a worship service that helps hundreds of people every single week experience the life of Jesus. All it's going to take is some time. Some of us, I'll just call it for what it is. We have to push back greed by being generous with our money. That's what Jesus calls us to do. You can be generous with your money. There's given respond boxes across the room. On our app, you can set up roundup giving, recurring giving, one-time gifts. But Jesus makes it clear, if you want to be rich towards God, there's going to be a couple things that want to sit on the throne of your heart. Do I find myself pursuing Jesus or more, more? Let me pray for us as we continue to pursue Jesus together this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we worship you because you are good. We worship you because you are Lord. We worship you because you are the only one who is worthy to be worshipped. Forgive us, Father, for our pursuit of more. I thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace. Of all the times I know I have pursued more in my life, out of selfishness, sometimes even without even realizing, and yet you are still kind and loving and generous to me with the gift of your son, Jesus, and the power of your spirit. Lord, may we be a generous church and not just generous with our tithes and our offerings, but may we be generous with our time, our talents. May we be generous with the love we share with our neighbors. May we be generous about our thought towards our neighbors. May we be generous with the way that we treat our coworkers. May we be generous, Lord, because you have been so, so generous to us. Lord, we worship and pursue you and you alone this morning. It's your name that we pray. Amen.